0: I don't know what COVID shutdown has been like for you, but I've found it incredibly hard to be productive. In that tipping point around early March, I was in a development uh, with musician Alana Stone working on a musical at Marigong Theatre in Wollongong. So here's a recording of Alana testing her microphone levels on Zoom. And of course, she does it through song because she's a very good singer, even when she's just testing a Zoom recording. And then here I come and join in on the Zoom chat.
1: Hi, Tom.
0: Hi, Alana. Um, I still don't have my camera.
1: That's all right. I'm sure it's fine. I mean, it is a podcast and not a vodcast after all.
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's me, Tom Hogan. Hi, nice to meet you. The one whose voice is definitely not as beautiful as Alana's, but Alana doesn't need to mention that every time we join in. However, she makes up for it by unnecessarily complimenting my voice when I fish for those compliments. <laughs> do I still sound good though, you know? You
1: sound beautiful. Right. You really do. You are my sound um, icon.
0: So Alana and I are making a musical set in colonial Australia. Well, we were. And just to prove it, here's a clip of Alana and I running through an acoustic version of one of the songs, which you have zero context for. We will be heroes. We are the best. foreshadowing. Anyway, before the development finished, the theatre and the entire country had to shut down. And then we did too. And then it's just really hard to find the motivation to write a musical, especially a comedy, when you have no idea what's happening and you can't even meet up with your collaborators. All that's left is Zoom.
1: I've got you quite loud, but I don't know how to change. Maybe I'll go into my settings and fiddle around. I'll do some fiddling.
0: But now, let me introduce you to a third voice.
2: Hey, Curly. Hey, how are you going?
0: Good, how are you?
2: I'm good. Is my sound okay? Yeah, it's great. Beauty.
0: This is Curly Saunders. She's the kind of person who does not shut down her creative production during COVID. In fact, listen to what she's been up to.
2: Yeah, work, my my private writing at the moment, um, so I've just finished editing a verse novel called Bindi. That was my first sort of COVID project. Um, And Bindi tells the story of a... 10 to 12 year old girl who um, speaks Gunungara language and is uh, living in a bushfire affected landscape. Um, and her journey of healing at the same time as sort of calling the spirit birds back that bring the water, bring the rain, and that will heal the landscape and planting trees for those birds. So it's, um, that's been interesting because I've had those birds fly over me every day while I've been writing that book. So I think that connection to the landscape to spirit is always there whether we're attending to it or not but um i think at the moment a lot of people everywhere are really aware of the absence of that connection and um hopefully i'm making time to go out and yeah reform that connection book i'm working on at the moment is a um it's called returning it's a poetry a visual poetry sort of collection, I suppose, taking 20 poems that are gifted to the Earth through ceremony and capturing that process in art. And the poetry is all around the dreaming. So I've just finished writing the first third of that book, um, reflecting on the dreaming and what it means by being connected to the landscape and to trees particularly and scar trees. Um, And, yeah, it's been, that one's, I'm, I'm glad I've had the time to kind of sit with it and ache with it.
0: It's so impressive. I found it so hard to do anything in that time. And here she is juggling multiple projects. But on top of that, since this conversation took place, she's also won New South Wales Aboriginal Woman of the Year because she's awesome. Not that it sounds like it was easy for her as an artist. She's just managed to be more disciplined than I have been.
2: And, um, yeah, there's been a lot of playing my guitar, baking, (laughs) uh, (laughs) drawing, doing anything other lots of yoga anything other than um writing because it's such heavy stuff to move through and i maybe a lot of artists experience experiencing that
0: and so alana and i are talking to her about her book of poetry named kindred which we loved just that your your work is so embedded in engaging in nature in a kind of very, like, Mary oh, totally. Oliver kind of way as well. It's kind of, like, observing and being part of and then, like, links to family.
2: Yeah, there's a, a kind of loneliness and, and collective loneliness, I suppose, that comes from being in that strange, isolated place. And then, you know, I think there's this push to try and move beyond that or... Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, learning to sit with it. I'm trying to just sit with it, accept it, and be like, okay, well, you're here. Thanks for showing up. What do you
1: want?
2: You know, and it's not that graceful.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think people are really trying to balance it out. Yeah, by doing what you're what you're talking about earlier, and just like being because you can still be in nature. I mean, in Sydney, I think the beaches are all restricted, but luckily down here we can swim and go for bush walks.
2: While we've been surfing lately, we've had seals popping up next Whoa. to us just in the snow, Early on, like this great big seal comes up right next to you. And um, at first I had this real, like, this is so terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, these things are huge, but then, you know, they're just washing their faces or floating on their back with their little yeah. flippers out of the water and um, they come right up to you while you're on a board. And um, there's something really special about the, the earth rejoicing in this moment of everybody yeah. being locked um so I'm really excited to see what that does for you know replenishing our fish stores and um yeah. the bird breeding again and yeah just the land being a lot happier that we're not commuting. I've
0: yeah. had this Even, weird um, oh, sorry Tom oh, Sorry. No, there no, you go. Hey you uh, Tom? <laughs> Okay. Um okay well, um curly well maybe this is a bit of a bow to draw uh, but I so I've lent Alana my copy of your book, Kindred, and it's been a few months now. And I, I was just saying that I remember this one poem in particular that just keeps sitting in my brain. Um, it was Wall Country. And in particular, the lines, there's been trauma here, there's been a massacre here, and the ants are cleaning it up like it's a crime scene. Like the earth is replenishing itself, but there are still these scars left behind. And I know you're not talking about COVID, obviously, but you 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 are voicing something that Alana and I weren't able to do ourselves It kind of crosses over right like it's just a very apt metaphor for, for what we what we are talking about
2: yeah yeah um and yeah i feel that you know that kind of um i i do think i think that it's happier That we're Mm. all staying
0: home. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It actually makes us more in touch with it, I suppose.
2: I know I'm seeing with new eyes. You know, every time I leave the house, I get so excited to see whatever's out there. And it could be something that would usually, maybe I'd miss it.
0: Okay. So why am I telling you this? Like, what is this all about? Well, keen listener, good question. Curly has become our cultural advisor on the musical Alana and I wrote called Mount Hopeless. It's a comedy musical starring Alana and I, all about the explorers Burke and Wills. Uh, That is, if you'd like to call them explorers, which I have just found it harder and harder to do after all the research we've done. Anyway, more on that later. The story that most people know about Burke and Wills and the version that we knew was just two brave men walking out into the desert and then tragically not surviving. So for now, that's what the story is. But we're making a podcast which isn't so much about them as it is about us trying to learn more about the surrounding issues, about what an explorer is, about what we can learn from colonial Australia, and if that's a story that's even worth telling now. And most of my works, theatre or otherwise, are ultimately about cultural myths and the problems or joys of adapting them or trying to learn from them. Like, I've adapted cultural myths from all over the world uh, in some way, but between, like, Greek, Japanese, Madagascan, and Finnish myths, the hardest for me, by far, is Australian. Australian colonial histories are much harder, and much more complex, and much more problematic. Mostly because of the way that they're told, and who's telling them. And so, in so many ways, I'm part of the problem. Or like, I am the problem, I, so I'm just trying to fix that, or like, get better at it, or just learn. And so, if Alana and I are even going to try to do this, we can't half-ass it. And we don't just want to do it academically either, we also want to be human, and it has to be good. And it's in the end, it's supposed to be fun. And so, we got Curly on board to help keep pointing us in directions that we should go. So right now, forget about us and the musical, really. We just want you to listen to Curly and you hear exactly why she's the perfect person to be involved in this project with us.
1: Um, So I was going to ask you what your feelings were kind of initially when we approached you with um, the possibility of sort of, I guess, um, guiding us culturally through this play and how to tackle it in a way um and just what your kind of initial reactions were to the story of Wells um and yeah. being in any way involved in in discussions or, yeah.
2: yeah yeah I think this is um this is a good question because I feel like every person who or every every black fellow who's ever consulted on any kind of arts project goes into every project with this kind of Slight walls up, like, oh, what are we looking at here? Is this going to be safe, respectful, responsible? Are the people who are delivering it, are they coming from a good, intuitive, aware um, and heartful, hopeful kind of place? Mm. Um, And. And I felt totally anxious, in the same way that I would for every project that arrives to me. Um, but sitting and yarning with you both was so nice. And um, you know, Got like it's- little buddies
0: immediately, like we were just oh, like, "Oh yeah, yeah, this is great. Oh yeah, cool." <laughs>
2: so, um, and I think it's it's. But what I what I enjoyed most was your both of you had this real willingness to say. I don't know and I don't want to mess it up but I'm willing to do my own research and I'm willing to listen and consult because sometimes um I'll meet on projects and have people say I don't know you can do it all and you're like no 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 this is this has to be something where um you know there has to be some kind of exchange here where we we both get to You know, the dreaming talks about the ways that um, when we meet another spirit, be that plant animal or person, we take with to that spirit all of our exchanges. And then um, they, where we both are better for having had that meeting because it's almost like I get all of your wisdom, you get all of mine. We walk away and we get to share that new wisdom with somebody else or something else. And then it grows. And, um you know, that kind of collective unity thing, so um, I definitely felt that, and um, it was exciting to be a part of those initial yarns. i um, as a kid, grew up hearing about explorers and I remember being <laughs> thinking of those words like how their bravery and explorers I'm like oh man
0: even <laughs> as a kid I knew that um, yeah, something I, just didn't sit right yeah yeah <laughs> um,
2: do we just leave out the part where they you know wrecked and murdered a ton of people like what yeah. about the poisoning um, we're going to talk about that but as a kid you don't you know question that kind of stuff and so uh, I really love that this play particularly is humorous mm. um, and and opens up a space for discussion that isn't uh, authoritative and talking down. Because I think so much of our literature, be that books, plays, um, you know, music, art, everything that we've experienced um, for a lot of our nation's history, has been one side of the story mm. and um, and delivered without empathy mm. and delivered intentionally to. Um, to cause damage or to disrupt the truth, the true narrative that's at play there.
0: Mm. Totally, which is where like books like and like Dark Emu are uh, oh. being so like effective immediately because they're using the same sort of source material and just like addressing it from a very like a different and contemporary and more um, I don't know thoughtful perspective. Just like yeah. oh yeah, this is actually what that means, and like processing it and coming up with like like yeah just really kind of even just solidifying academically what was really obvious to like people now i suppose and now yeah, yeah. I, I, I think i think we, we we're we basically trying to write the play in the wake of that essentially of like cool we can address the same material and the same story and just like tell it from a perspective and just not tell it from just specifically us but like the collective research that's happened since then i, don't know. I think that's really that's good yeah i don't know <laughs> We're still learning about it at the same time, like, (laughs) Like,
2: and I think all of us are learning about it. You know, the um, I spoke earlier about the arts protocols and practices that are in place and how those are changing to honor. ICIP and um you know cultural copywriting and sharing that kind of knowledge in culturally respectful and safe way um I think these kinds of you know um partnerships where you're consulting with mob and including voices and including first nations artists in your work um I feel like this is something that will become mainstream in because at the moment it's not
0: it's yeah, wow. it's really. Um,
2: at the moment. It's when you meet someone who's being a cultural practitioner, who's being safe, um, and yarning with community, and having them involved, and and leading. There's not um, that. That's not happening everywhere, and so um, I'm, it's my hope that these kinds of projects become just. That's just the lay of the land and the way that it is, and you yeah, know, this is moving forward. And yeah. you, do you feel happy
1: to be in that position as a as a cultural practitioner? Like, does that feel because um, to relate to it in my own way I'm um, part half Jewish and sometimes like, but I grew up in a very sort of uh, liberal non-religious like secular environment went to a public school but every time anything related to Judaism came up everyone would look to me like oh yeah. what does this mean and, and what it, you know I don't I don't speak yeah. Hebrew. I like we had Passover recently. I don't even really know the story of Passover. You know, people say hug Sameach to me. And I'm like, I don't actually know what that means. And I feel overwhelmed by this, this kind of historical responsibility of understanding my ancestry particularly because um of how much trauma there is there and how that's a group of survivors and I wonder does that weigh does that also weigh heavily on you that responsibility
2: yeah I um so my journey I guess as a child so my family are gunai people they were um born as far back as we can read in, um, state ward notes and things like that. Born onto the mission at Bangyanda uh, in East Gippsland on Soangana country, and then moved from there onto Yuan lands where my mom was born. She was removed from that country and raised as a state ward in children's homes. And then, um, ended up in Gonangara country. So, um, up around Mittagong in the Southern Highlands. And that's where I was born. And on my grandfather's side, it's a similar kind of thing. Biripai people moved onto a mission at La Perouse. So lots of, picked up and replaced and removed um and that kind of disconnection um historically very much lends itself to a disconnection to cultural identity as a you know third or fifth or fourth or sixth more generation Mm. um first nations person in our current society and as a young person I definitely felt like I didn't have the um the cultural identity to be able or the the awareness and the knowledge to back up the cultural identity that people had placed on me well you're black tell us an aboriginal word without the awareness that you know there's 650 dialects and probably not just an aboriginal word um or yeah and so um I think most of the discomfort I've felt has been around viewing myself through the lens that white people view black people through Mm. um in that I would look at myself and think oh um, these people are expecting me to be black. I better be black in whatever way they think that black is black enough. And, um, and that was really hard work to undo. And I think that comes from being socialised or um, domesticated into a world where, you know, um, those kinds of narratives have been instilled in our in the way that history has been retold in the way that policies are written um you know day-to-day actions kind of um you know have played out those perceptions and um as a kid raised as going to christian schools mm. in a very well society in the southern highlands um i definitely thought that you know black was black it wasn't safe to um mm. to be outwardly a first nations person and if you were then you had to to do it in the ways that they expected you to do that. Um, and I think more recently I've realised that, you know, so much, so much art, um, especially First Nations art, is written about the struggle that First Nations people face um, and the complexities of that struggle. And I think that's definitely part of a lot of our journeys and that hardship is very much um, important in our journey. But for me, I don't want to write about my identity with the struggle because to me, the the struggle can be tied to that lacking narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and rather, I'd write about, I'd prefer to write about the strengths and the connection and the grounding that comes mm-hmm. from being connected to First Nations culture. Um, and so, yeah, learning language has been an interesting part of that. There was one time I sat down and I was like, oh, man, I really want to learn language because I felt like learning language would help fill this gap in me that I thought I had to know. Mm-hmm. Um And actually it's just given me new words to describe the connections I already had. Mm. So, yeah, but the work itself in, you know, being a cultural liaison or sitting on an arts board or, um, yeah, being a First Nations artist, um, it can be heavy yeah hard work and I think that's because we're trawling through intergenerational trauma and trying to understand it um and figure out what is ours and what is a narrative that's been told to us and where do we agree with that and um you know for me it's art making has always been about sitting with the dreaming and my role and responsibility to be a storyteller and a teacher and Mm -hmm. um if I can do work that sits within those things then um I think I'm on the right track and yeah just self-care in the meantime
1: um, I think, yeah, I think we're very aware of not wanting you to feel like you're holding the hands of two very anxious white people. <laughs> to, no. and, um, but we are, in a in a sense, like we're incredibly we're trying we're approaching this in an incredibly sort of self aware way, um, and we want to be. I like. I, I'm sort of using this as an opportunity for me to to really educate myself. Um, partly because I've I've got an Indigenous brother, and I've, I'm really embracing. Like I, I want to be part of his family. I'm really close with my sister. I have a niece who's part Indigenous, and so for me, it's just like if, it's a personal um, personal journey, which I think has a huge amount of value. But I think it's something that's been in the back of my mind. For, you know, since since childhood of, of sort of this awareness of, of um of the separation um and 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 feeling like I, I didn't have any black fellow friends and that there was this kind of like lack of knowledge there and ignorance that I that I felt really a yeah pain it was a source of pain in a way. Because you how can you feel connected to your country if you don't if you don't understand that. But then it's the, the next step is being able to ask questions and that and that's a kind of another um, awkward mm. awkward step as well. Um, but I think well, okay. what's that?
2: Uh, I was just going to say, um, cause a lot of people will come to me and, or they, I think they come to blackfellas sometimes as the source of all the answers. Yeah. And um, I'm so quick in those moments to be like, Oh, have you read Tyson Yonker Porter's book? Or have you read, you know, Sand Talk is amazing. Read it. Have you yeah. read um, young duck emu or dark emu? You know, those are two really great places to start. And um, yeah. what do you know about yeah. our nation's history? Have you checked out like the city of Sydney website as examples, you know? Um, and then once you've done that, like come back and we'll have a yarn and, I, I love that more recently people often come to me and say, look, I did this reading and it prompted this question in me, or look, I did this research and now I'm wondering about this. Mm. And it's so nice to be um, working with people who have already started the journey because I think so and have sat with the guilt that you were talking about or the, the concern, you know, um, that comes from a true place of wanting connection mm. Um because sometimes, yeah, it, it doesn't feel like that. And in those moments, I'm like, oh, I can't do, I can't do this work for you, you know? Um, yeah. 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 For me, so I love both of you. I think the
1: um, like what you were saying before about actually ha- like having a yarn, and to me, you, you can you can do a lot of research and a lot of reading, but you don't feel like um, any any progress or any sort of actual um, thing is happening until you make a connection until you you reach out to people and understand what what the repercussions of that is for them. Um, and so, yeah, I guess talking to you and having the opportunity to do this podcast is is really good in a way it's um I feel like it's vaguely selfish but it's um I think it'll give us a really good understanding and background when we go into finishing um this work you know Mm. And, and it's kind of gotten bigger than the work because the work itself is just like a humorous musical about a couple of hapless dickheads that walk into you know the Australian desert and die and and that's all we want to say but then there's there's this kind of um there's a there's a gap really at the end where we need to um, I don't know I guess there's a huge question mark about how to firstly end it, <laughs> which which in a way like obviously the, the characters die, but also there needs to.
0: Spoiler be... alert for that story though.
2: <laughs> in case you didn't know, in case yeah, the explorers.
0: Yeah, they're not still around.
2: <laughs> Thank oh. God.
0: I know. God, I hate them.
2: <laughs> we just don't want to replicate
1: their journey and just be the same two hapless dickheads that are walking into this play without learning anything or without like drawing on the people around us and learning for, from our environment. We sort of want to, to come out of this, um, I guess, having wisened on some level. Um,
2: yeah, I get that real sense of like, you know, let's not chuck the baby out with the bath water kind of thing. Um, and the, the notion of the boiling in the bath um, because they carry their bathtub into the desert. <laughs> and yeah. ridiculous. Um, but, but yeah, I guess, um, and, and what you're talking about really is the baby in the bathwater, isn't it? It's like what, oh, what, no, is, the tangible, what is the tangible learning that comes out of running an arts program? Because um, that's basically what this is rather than, you know, rather than it just being a this isn't just a, just a play, this is an, an educational space, this is an open discussion, this is, mm. um, you know, these are posing questions that people are going to have to respond to, whether they do so out loud or um, just by coming along and being a part of the audience who, who witnessed that. Um, mm. But I think it will raise a lot of questions and have people think about the ways that our stories are told, and I say ours in Australians, um, because this is, this is a reconciliation story. This is everybody's story, Um, you know, telling black stories and white stories uh, with a bit more truth. Mm. Yeah.
1: So how do you think, because I remember we spoke, last time we spoke to you, we were sort of talking about ways this can be like um, mutually beneficial and um, how we can incorporate an Indigenous voice into the show itself. And I remember you saying we should just black out the theatre and have like everyone working um, with an Indigenous background. And I was like, wow, that's is such a great idea. And I just, um, I wonder like if we, Tom and I were just talking and and, and reading through Uh, your play your poems and and that one that Tom was um, talking about earlier the Durable Country one it just sums up exactly this concept of of a land in trauma and and also kind of the healing that will naturally happen um and I just sort of thought well how would you feel about us using your poem in our play like would that would you be, be out
2: by that? Absolutely. No, I think I'd be stoked with that, especially the poem that you're talking about. Um, and for the podcast, do you mind if I read it? No, oh, please. I love
0: that so much. Oh. love
2: that. <laughs> uh, so, this is Darawa Country, and I wrote it um, near Appen, actually. So, um, for those of you who don't know um, that area, around Picton, Appen, there were large massacres um, where a lot of First Nations person people, Aboriginal people, darawal people were herded together and under the order of the government pushed off a cliff. darawal country. Bark like hanging noose, gumnut nut widow, widow maker, water enough to drown in, there is trauma here. Wasp nest with spider skeleton, ants like homicide crime scene cleaners, windows barred, New trees, old scars, there is trauma here. Wilderness fenced, cicada brooches pinned to rough flesh, bloody sap leaks secrets, there is trauma here. Ashen limbs ache to heal, shattered sky threatens to fall, pine in place of eucalypt, there is trauma here. Um, and as I read that poem, I want to acknowledge the spirits of those elders past. Um, and with awareness that our land carries these memories and our land remembers us. And, um, as we walk on Darwa land, we have a responsibility to care for the land and to be aware of the true history of this landscape.
1: I just don't know how to follow that up. That's
0: <laughs> Yeah. I was like, that was all like spine tingly. And also like the poem, so it's so like haunting as well as kind of hopeful at the same time. It's like,
2: Mm. yeah
0: i think yeah that's uh, it's it's definitely the one that's like stuck with me like Mm. just in my head after reading it just a few times you know so that's Mm. that's so good thank you for that
2: thank you yeah um and i guess the other ways that um that i encourage people running arts projects to engage communities you know incorporate employment pathways for first nations people Mm. through your project um incorporate um, audience engagement opportunities for First Nations people through your projects. So yeah. invite elders, custodians, get community out to your project, uh, to your program, consult with local communities so that you can get, you know, transport to support them to get there. Um, make sure that there's consultation in the lead-up process, and I know you've done a lot of that, yarning with different First Nations artists in the local area to try and get them involved. I think that's really important, that that open dialogue, Um mm is really, really necessary and making sure that, um, you know, that the the material that you use to promote an arts project like this or a program like this is culturally respectful, um, safe and aware and, you know, that's born out of cultural liaison um, and doing your history and asking your questions I'm excited to see what what comes out of this time and hits the stage and um, what these podcasts look like because I think everybody at the moment is in this curious kind of damage control when it comes to creating and um, I like that both of your approach to damage control is instead like, hold up. Let's listen for a moment and um, see what gems come out of this space. And um, yeah,
0: we we figure we can even use this this to like affect the work as well. Like we, it's impossible to avoid that. So
2: totally, and I'm yeah. quite happy for the, the the poem that I shared. Um, how when I when I did the reading and the kind of clarification around it, totally stoked for that to be included in the play and something. Yeah. And,
0: we'll figure out how that works obviously and we'll obviously do that with you and we'll figure all that out but that's i think we once we have just been thinking about it a lot going like we it like there's no reason for to end on us making a point like that's if the whole point is us talking too much or why people are talking too much like is that what what is there some message at all and it's like this this poem does it in a way that ra- raises the right questions in the right way and like is anyway we'll figure all that out that's so good i'm so we're so happy thank you so much even just for reading it and like talking about it because i know it's like heavy in itself so it was really thoughtful
2: yeah stoked to share the space with you guys thank you yeah all right i better race thanks so much all guys right. see you soon. Holler thank if you need anything. yeah well thanks so much, curly. Okay. Hi.
0: Thank thanks, you so much curly. curly so that's what we'll do we'll be leaving some room for others to speak But we're also researching, and this is after a first draft is being completed of the musical. So this podcast will be a mini-series where you can get a glimpse of some of the work and some of the hard conversations that we have to have behind the scenes of a creative work. And we're not going to lie, it is promo for a show as well. But it's promo for a show that won't be on for a year, which gives you time to research as well, if you want. It's not going to be all explosions and joy balls, but there's some big conversations that we need to have with some people who know better than us. So if you're interested in finding out more, subscribe and stay tuned. You can contact us at Mount Hopeless1861 at gmail.com. 1861 is the year the Birkenwills died. It's all very poetic. Um, so yeah, that is Mount Hopeless1861 at gmail.com if you want. And a big thanks to Marigong Theatre for making this podcast happen. Uh, big thanks to Annie Clapton for making sure that I get it done. Huge thanks to Curly Saunders as well. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can get your own copy of Kindred and keep up to date with her um, all of her work really. And thanks to you for listening this whole time. Uh, music by Tom Hogan and Alana Stone from the musical Matt Hopeless*. I no, did it. Not go so fast, really.
1: A lesson in excess by Tom Hogan. <laughs> yeah.
0: too much is just the right amount.